Namaste India and hello to the world. My name is Preeti Chaudhary and I'm your friendly host for today. Today is the day for Author Spotlight by Preeti Chaudhary and my guest today is none other than my dear friend Prabal Das Gupta who is a veteran, a corporateer and an author. Let's get the evening kick started and for that we have to have Prabal in the virtual studio. So ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, put your hands together and let us say a resounding Jai Hind and thank you for your service. Prabal, it's a very good evening and it's my honor and privilege to have you here in my virtual studio. Today is Author Spotlight by Preeti Chaudhary with you on Watershed 1967, India's forgotten victory over China. And quickly for introductions, the people, the audience that have tuned in here today, Prabal is someone who spent his formative years in my city. He went to school as a very young boy in Jabalpur, which is where both of us, which is where I'm from and he spent his formative years at. And he remembers those streets and schools and places very fondly. We've had a chat about that one time before, but that's another story for today. He is a veteran, like I said, a corporateer who's been into business and uh, all the rest of it after transitioning from the forces. And as of last year, he's a published author as well. So once again, welcome Prabal to this edition of your author spotlight. It's over to you. You would would you quickly like to tell us, please, why did it take 53 years for somebody to write about this kind of a book? And then I would like to get this conversation started because I think the context is so important to be said. There are so many things that were never said. Why did it take so long? And anything that jumps out to you that you would like to add here as well. It's over to you. Thank you. Thank you, Preeti. Thank you very much, Jehind. And uh, uh, it's, it's, it's a pleasure to connect again. And, uh, and thank you for the introduction and as well as uh, reminding uh, me of uh, the early years in Jabalpur. Because I spent a lot of time in Jabalpur and MP. Indore is the other city that I, and Bhopal, of course, where I lived for a while. So it all takes me back to the early years of growing up and the fun time. Course, uh, and uh, so, so that's 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 that. But your question, and and before I do that, um, uh, good evening, everyone. And you know, Watershed 1967 is is a book that happened after 53 years uh, of the battles actually taking place. And Preeti is absolutely right. 53 years is a long time for event an event or, or a set of battles uh, which have been there in the book to be talked about or written about. Uh, indeed, I get asked this question at you know, certain places. I have asked myself this question before I started the journey on the book because uh, when I set myself to write the book, that was a question that was uppermost in my mind that, you know, why hasn't anybody written about it? So during the course of writing, I figured that there are a few reasons that kind of jumped out as to why it took more than half a century. So the primary reason I thought, as I spoke with sources, is that, you know, we are actually talking in 2020 and we are talking about 1967. It was a very different era. We didn't, we didn't have social media, of course, 
couldn't have thought about any any of the kind of media that we have today people were also not very much aware of what was going on in a remote himalayan shelf of another part of india which was actually not a part of india so sikkim was not a part of india but something was going on there and uh, remember 5 years before 1967 india had suffered heavy reverses and set back in a in a protracted war in a short war rather against china in 1962 so psychologically it was very difficult for a lot of people to believe that india had actually put it across china in a set of successive battles there was also the common references in that time of a 10 foot tall chinese soldier which was actually uh, a myth or it was it was it was it was also emblematic of the kind of psychological dominance that china had uh, imposed in 1962 by way of uh, virtually you know sort of overpowering india capturing territory pushing india back and thus imposing itself psychologically on our psyche so that was that was one of the factors so when those heroes who fought in 1967 went back and told people that look this has happened uh, they were not readily believed to have been you know saying what had happened in in real terms the media hadn't covered it either so you know that those things that happened then uh, so it was a young nation not really confident of what it could achieve as you know as years went by india really achieved a lot more and it started off india's journey quietly then the second reason leading from the first is you know four years later uh, came the 1971 war and india recorded a resounding victory which whitewashed everything that was there behind them which included 1967 funnily enough that was a victory but 1971 was so big that we we are going to be you know now celebrating 50 years of it in 2021 but 71 kind of came and that was india's hour india's india's time and indira gandhi's war and everything else before that was forgotten and china reminded people of the memories of 1962 so nothing about 67 was thus remembered recorded and it was shelved and forgotten the third reason which diving a little deeper into it was that um, at that point of time it was the the battles those battles were fought at a military command level at the, at a military level so the leadership the military leadership general sagat singh and the commanding officers of the grenadiers battalion of the purka battalion who were leading those battles uh, were responsible for india's victories now if you look at history so there was not much of political involvement so whenever there is lesser political involvement what we have seen in history is the recording of those battles are not as 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 you know as long lasting as as when there are political involvement in wars battles conflicts etc because the the engagements are at a higher level and then there is a political narrative that plays out as well when there are military victories very quick military victories the narrative may or may not really uh, be long lasting because it doesn't become anybody anybody's political narrative a political victory is not as much uh, there in the in the battles of 1967 it was a military victory so those those i saw as reasons why 
uh, it got shelved. And India and China also, in 67, kind of did not have relations. They kind of implicitly believed that, you know, they um, they should not carry off, carry this further. And uh, no one really spoke about it. And it was uh, forgotten conveniently in terms of China's case, regrettably, in our case. Absolutely spot on. So thank you so much for putting that in perspective. I think it is extremely important for us to go back and look at all these reasons and basically give the due respect where it should belong. So thank you for that. And thank you, first of all, for writing this book, for setting the context and setting history and perspective properly. Now then, um, let's go right back, you know, because you suddenly don't just get up one point day and decide that you are going to write a book because you have to have that mindset, that creative spark or that will or creativity to want to write or do something. When did that start for you, Prabal? How long back do you remember very distinctly when you realized that you did have a knack with paper and pen? Please take us through that early influence, those journeys, those stories, if you remember, and whatever you yeah. remember of it, please. It's over to you. Thank you. No, thank you. Thank you. So, you know, started early on, of course, I, um, the, one of the, one of the early, um, in the, in the early part of life, I grew up reading a lot of books. I think that was the early start. Uh, I mean, if you want to write, you have to read. I, I believed in that. You need to, you need to read how, stories unfold what happens you need to have a basic love of reading and uh, so i i remember reading books from a very early age to your question i think uh, i remember to have written an art an article in in the third or the four, fourth or the fifth standard and uh, it somehow didn't make it to the school magazine because they thought it was not good enough but i thought you know i i believed that i you know it was it's it's a subjective part and you can always uh, be having thoughts in which you can put the paper so uh, because i was i used to read prolifically uh, at that age i used to be interested in various kinds of stories that kind of uh, you know set the, set the ball rolling at a very early age and i think uh, thereafter in somewhere in middle school started writing more uh, I had an English teacher, Mr. Ahmed Ansari, who was uh, my mentor in the early years. And he uh, encouraged me to write uh, in school, went to boarding school in Indore. And there, uh, I not, I mean, it was not just writing alone, it was writing, speaking, being involved in all kinds of uh, activities, helped grow the ability to put pen to paper and put ideas to paper. Uh, express oneself. I think that is that is important. Uh, language is a medium, and you know, ideas are thoughts that form inside your head. Uh, the ability to organically sort of uh, use or, or transmit those ideas onto paper is something that you start to do. One of the earliest tips that I received was that to write, you must write every day or as much as you can because uh, it only, you only get better with that. So you know, there are some people who probably have a more natural ability to put things to paper. Probably I, I were, you know, I, I thought I, I, I grew better as a, or, or I learned more as a writer, as I, as I wrote more. And uh, so I, I started early on, I, I, 
I was you know, in school, I was writing, I was writing school magazine, I was, um, I was an editor, you know, I was editing both magazine, I was uh, writing essays, uh, getting involved in all, all kinds of contests that you have in school. And, and so writing was, was intrinsically part of me very early on. Uh, but you know, life uh, leads you to, into different directions. So in those days, when you grew up, uh, you couldn't uh, grow up to be a writer. You know, you had to do either an engineering degree or a medical degree, or or you had to do something else and go to do something more productive, commercially. So and um, and that's how you went through all all your exercises and routines and plans in the 80s. And so, of course, life took me to, to directions that uh, I, I chose to adopt, whether it was. Um, you know, going to the armed forces or thereafter you know, in the corporate life. But I think somewhere uh, writing was part of my character. And that remains so. Whether it was, uh, you know, writing uh, pieces in while in the army, writing about experiences, writing fiction, non-fiction, because I read both times. Uh, fiction is something that helps you to articulate, understand human emotions, the overlapping uh, aspects of uh, emotions and expressions and experiences put things into perspective. Uh, Nonfiction gives you the discipline to, you know, put together facts. And uh, and Watershed uh, was also, if you look at it, uh, you know, it's a nonfiction narrative. So you have the yep. the soul of fiction into the discipline and uh, uh, the arc of fiction into the into uh, the style of uh, non-fiction or uh, the form of non-fiction um, that the book uh, can you just hold that thought for one moment Prabal, yeah. because i am specifically going to request you to share yeah. your writing journey sure. and you know sure. what i get it that um, the topic was pretty uh, sort of there in your mind all the time because you are a veteran you've yeah. served in the forces so in the back of your head the topic was very clear to you so i have extreme clarity on that though there are a couple of things which i will get to towards the end of this conversation no, but no. for now please help me understand when is it that you actually decided uh, to sort of write this book and thereafter what has been your journey of, sort of putting it together if, please share with us also if there were any highs any lows and Anything else in between, writer's block, some euphoric yeah. aha moments, all yeah. of it. Please do share. Yes. I'm yes. really excited to hear all of that. Yes. Thank you. Yes. yes. So, you know, uh, interestingly, uh, you asked this question, which is uh, which is a very, uh, which is which is actually one of those things that, uh, that, uh, which is, which is an inflection point in the birth of the idea and the birth of the book, the idea would Put it this way, you know, because this was an idea which which kind of grew into a book. So you know, it was 2017, and I was uh, I had I'd taken five six years to write a manuscript, and which is still lying on my shelf, one of my shelves. You know, that's a that's a whole big manuscript of a book. It's not yet published, but that is uh, you know that was a that was a manuscript. You know, at Put together a story. I was based in an area of insurgency. It's a fiction, work of fiction, 
But you know, I was discussing this with a friend of mine over lunch, and uh, it was that time when India and China had had a standoff at Doklam uh, in Bhutan, and uh, Chinese forces had arrived, Indian forces had gone there, and there was a standoff that was taking place. And that standoff was actually um, was in the news because uh, everyone was talking about how China could again, uh, you know, go back to the events of 1962 and kind of put pressure on India psychologically. I was having a, I was having lunch with my friend, and he mentioned that look, uh, India and China, 1962, we've had a hard time, you know. In that war, the Chinese prevailed. We'd suffered a lot of setbacks. So, you know, uh, the, the uh, very tricky customers, what do we do? And um, this is something that we need to... Because China was also, if you looked at uh, television channels, if you if you watched news or if you read newspapers at that point of time, they were all talking about how 1962 was a time when India had suffered heavy reverses. Um, so I told my friend that, you know, look, um, I see where, you know, you, you, you're reading newspapers you're watching the media and so are we everybody and we we are speaking about 1962 but do you know that so i asked him you know but do you know what happened when india and china last went to battle with each other so he said uh, china won and i said no it's india who won so he was surprised his jaw dropped and he he asked me how is that possible i said no no it happened five years after 1962 and uh, He's, he's, he, he's a, you know, he's a writer himself and he's extremely well-read, he's a very good friend. So he said, you know, look, uh, uh, well, I never heard of it. And, and I realized a lot of other people had either heard of it briefly or had not known about it at all. Most people had not known of it. And you'll be surprised that people in the armed forces also hadn't known about it. Many people hadn't. Uh, some people who are, who are historians who have uh, interest in history or in the in the military who have interest in military history or past uh, or in india's past would have known some part of it but uh, it was largely unknown it was largely unknown largely unwritten except for a few blogs except for some articles here and there and uh, then so so the friend I'm talking about is an author, and he he said, you know, why don't you send me a note, a one pager on this uh, whole event that you're talking about, which actually changed the India-China narrative forever. So I sent him the note, and then we got talking. We then um, I, you know, I soon I was soon speaking with uh, one of India's very well-known agents, literary agents, who who took up the um, idea took it to various publishers and uh, almost every publisher that he went to wanted to publish the book. So publish a book based on that idea. So finally, you know, Jagannath and us, we decided to go ahead with the book and uh, was very supportive of Jagannath right from the start in terms of, you know, how they would uh, go about the, the structure of the book, how they would go to the market, what they would do, how, how we would work together on it. So I think that one moment is 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 what changed a lot of things because, um, as I said, you know, we were talking, we were talking, and we, we took a break at lunch, you know, we were having lunch, and uh, during during that time, we just got talking about Dukla and 
uh, and that's where you know when you look at a contemporary event you go back to history to define it in some way and um, the, the moment in history that we were looking for was 1967 and not 1962 as everybody would uh, like us to believe at, during that time and i thought this is a good time to, to tell everybody what actually happened 53 years ago uh, the publishers uh, you know the money publishers were quite excited by the idea they wanted to uh, publish an idea who, if I may use a cliche an idea whose time had come so that's how it started brilliant you know um, so that is good um, you went to an agent and then uh, the idea was spoken to a few publishers and then you sort of honed down on one and started working right from the word get go from there right. but then right. again that's one side of the story the other being the actual writing of this database tome of a few hundred pages tell us a little bit more in terms of were there any highs or lows were there any ambiguities any self doubts or or you know when you really patted your back and you said well probably uh, that's a good job done tell us through a yep. little bit of those emotions yep. running through you yeah. please in that yeah. time thank you yeah yes um so so you know when we when you it's like you know when you are um, when you get an admission into a college or a school or when you go somewhere and uh, or, or you 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 get a ticket to some big place so you know when you when you decide on the idea and and the book and you believe it's a great idea there there's there's a lot of excitement there's a lot of energy but as it happens with every book or a you know film or a, or an idea that you know the first part is the romantic part where you're really excited about the idea you believe this is an idea uh, which is the biggest one at, at this point and nobody would have a bigger idea than this than than the one you have and i think that's a good point to start because that gives you a lot of fuel a lot of energy and momentum at the same time what tends to happen is then you get down you roll your roll up your sleeves and you know you, you get down to doing the more boring part i would put it uh you know writing putting together facts and uh inputs and thoughts of people but i must say that you know one of the most fascinating parts of writing the book has been uh talking to the various sources talking to various people who have been veterans of that time when i was writing the book i realized and i told uh, uh you know uh mayor and uh, you know some of the people who were helping me with the, with the research that uh, look this is uh, one book that will uh, probably not be repeated very soon for one reason because uh, most of the sources uh, were in the 80s or 90s and you know god willing they'll have many more years to live but i think the memory kind of will will get to be slower and will get slower as as time wears on so this was uh, one of the things i you know when i spoke with the sources i realized that you know this is uh, you know i had uh, embarked on this journey listening to these stories these fascinating stories of men who had been a part of history in 1960s was one of the most fascinating things that i would um, encounter and i would uh, engage in i also realized when i was talking to them how robust and resilient their memories were they could recount every minute every moment 
every time, every turn, every twist of those battles of that time, of their involvement, what happened, etc., which was quite fascinating. I mean, I wouldn't remember something that had happened a couple of years ago. But, you know, here, here and there, there was a reason for that. The reason was that, you know, they were so involved in that moment in time of which they were a, a central part that they had lived this for a long time of their lives and they could recount those events in, in such a fascinating, interesting manner. So, so that was that was the interesting part. Now, I'll, I'll give you an example. You know, there, you spoke about the lows and uh, so, so, you know, we had to, when you write, you, you do a lot of research. A lot of the research doesn't actually get into the book. You think that, you know, you've done uh, a lot more and, and all of that must get in. Everything seems to be very important to you. So I think the process of writing tells you to disengage emotionally at times in order to get the best material out of it. And that's why you have a writer who writes and there is an editor who's there to not be the best friend of the writer, but also uh, we together are the best friend of the book that we are working on. So one of the things I realized is that, you know, we had done tons of research. There was lots of material and the book underwent some stages of editing, changing my at my own end and along with my editor in terms of uh, making it, uh, you know, shaping it into an into a kind of form and narrative that is uh, that helps get an attractive the attention of the reader right from the start from the get go and kind of continue the journey. And uh, we we had this we agreed to a style, a form, a shape, and I think that kind of defined the narrative that it takes and and the flow it takes right from start to finish, which I'm I'm grateful to my editors for helping me on that. Uh, I think uh, that was a learning. As far as the lows are concerned, you know, there were one of the things. Uh, there were not really lows except for the fact that I don't think there was a writer's block per se, because uh, what I would normally do is. Uh, because it was also based on inputs from sources and others, if there was a if there there existed a writer's block, if there if there was some time that I felt that I'm not in the mood to write, I would uh, try and speak with sources because I would always be in a mood to listen, and uh, you know, uh, and so you can switch roles of being a listener or a writer or a researcher, but it's just that you know you need to be uh, playing different roles when you're doing that, but. Uh, Yes, so that was one when you when you had to switch and to get into another gear and understand what you could do at that moment better than just uh, sitting down and writing something that could that you might ultimately term as rubbish. Um, but it happens. You write and you reject it, and that happens often. Uh, but that's how you develop yourself in terms of uh, your uh, you, you mature uh, in in terms of uh, your writing, etc. So one of the and you know incidents I remember, I called up Colonel K. B. Joshi, who um, who was the hero of Chola, who led uh, the Indian Army to capture, recapture the Chola post, and after which Indian China that was the last piece of action that happened between India and China at Chola. So when I called him, uh, you know he uh, he's he. Is an ex-officer, um, veteran from my regiment, 11 Gurkha Rifles. So, so, you know, he was not very, initially he was not very enthusiastic about uh, talking about 
what his role in the battles because i think uh, nobody had written so you know people had come and spoken with him earlier nothing had happened thereafter so that's that's what his initial response was so i had to coax kajol prod him uh, to meet me and he lived in dehradun he lives in dehradun and uh, uh, so he would so then i finally i was i was persistent you know that's the other thing i learned that you have to be persistent in order to meet your sources to go there and meet with whoever you would want to because that is important so i um, i i you know landed in dehradun i went to his house so finally finally agreed so i went to his house and i had taken an appointment um and uh, so he asked me he said okay welcome to dehradun so you know he's 95 He's extremely fit, and uh, he has his handlebar mustache, and he's, uh, you know, ramrod straight, and you know, he speaks very clearly, and um, so yes, and and a lot of energy uh, in him, and uh, very eager he was to to meet at that point in time, and he said, okay, so let's let's speak, and so. how much time do we have do you have any other what what brings you to dehradun is there anything else that you have in mind so i said sir um, i have come to meet you so he was very uh, uh, overwhelmed so you know from the first time that i called him when he was not very enthusiastic to that day he spent time with me and he spent 5 hours from 4 in the afternoon to 9:30 at night Uh, when we, when I finally left his residence, he had spoken for five and a half hours, and he spoke right from his journey in uh, Burma, where he was born to a, uh, you know, born to a, 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 his, I mean, a mathematics teacher that was his father, and and then uh, his journey through, um, through through various phases of life and to to the battle that he fought. So it was it was interesting. that you know when you when you meet with people and and they talk about the journey this kind of kind of been transformative because i got a lot of inputs information from him uh then i uh, you know i i remember going to meet another source and he he happened to be a former general uh he was in rajpipla in near baroda so i went to him and i met him and he he had been the adc the aide to general sagat Uh, so general randeep that's the gentleman i'm talking about so when i met him uh, he asked me and this is one of the he was one of the first sources that i met and he was magnanimous enough to spend the entire day with me there and uh, when i he so he asked me probably what is what is the subject what is it what is what, what's the name of the book that you're proposing because he knew a lot about what had happened there and uh, he had you know shared his thoughts his inputs so he said uh, what do you think it would be the name of the book i hadn't thought of the name of the book until then i just looked up i said what is it so he said uh, that's an apt name so you know later on when what happens is when you write the book the the, the title of the book the name of the the book can change at the end depending on you know conversation with the publisher and what they think is more marketable and how it should be etc a lot of things can can happen but interestingly so when i proposed the name watershed 967 to the publisher um they my editor thought that was it was a fabulous name so we tried to explore other names but none of the other uh, ones kind of uh, really 
stood out as much as what 1967 did. And I will, you know, I'll come to it later as to why the name, because and why Watershed, and how I instinctively sort of, you know, uh, replied to the general's question, what the name of the book would be. So, so these are these are these little anecdotes, and you know, you go, you, I, I visited. I there were there were times when I when I had to go and visit the source, and uh, somebody was unwell. You go had to access uh, records in uh, in Delhi. We're not very good with archives and records, and that's one of the reasons why uh, history is not told as well in India because we don't tell our stories. We don't we don't declassify records. So, if you ask me about the lows, I think the lows are the fact that you know you're not able to access records and archives in Delhi because when you go there, there's a lot of bureaucracy, and you don't manage to do that as well as you should. Or as well as you, one would in perhaps United States of America, because in India, yeah. declassification of records can happen. So you rely a lot on the sources, which is which is which is another great way of telling a story, because you know they are the people who actually bring the events live uh, into the book. Uh, so yes, I mean there, there are these pushes, pulls, and pushes, but that's that's what uh, makes a fascinating journey. It wouldn't be fascinating if, if it were not. Uh, for for the various colors that uh, kind of dotted the landscape of the making of Odisha Absolutely, and you know, on that note, could you please hold up the book for me? Because sure. for the audience that's tuned in here today, um, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, here is Watershed 1967, India's forgotten victory over China for you. This is readily available on probaldasgupta.com. I have left the website in the comment section of this LinkedIn Live author spotlight with me, your host, Preeti Chaudhary, and my guest today, Prabal Das Gupta, author, veteran, and corporateer. Thank you for pulling that out. Prabal, um, you know, discipline, I can understand it comes from the background that you're from. So writing every day and then making sure keeping all the communication channels open, planning your travels to meet the sources, documenting all of that. It's, it's all a journey and a learning is in itself. And you've just narrated some anecdotes wherein it's beautifully brought out uh, the entire journey of those hills and valleys, you know, that you have gone through. So I'm sure it is um, a really good experience that you have had a lot of people out there who are thinking of taking up writing as a vocation what do they need to keep in mind you know from your own experience what are those uh, certain cues do's and don'ts that you think uh, everybody should be mindful of if they want to start on this journey i think that would add really a good value to everybody that's out there over to you thank you thank you yeah uh, that's an easy question as well as a tough one because uh, you know the way you look at it, it's um, well. I think one of the one of the things, the easy part is you know getting yourself to believe, getting yourself to to actually uh, write every day. And I believe I think that that's one of the more important things in in writing. That you know the more you write, the more the, the I guess the more mature you become in terms of expressing yourself on uh, and putting pen to paper. Uh, and the more you do that, and then I come to the, the more the harder part is uh, is uh, you know having having the, the the core belief that you know what you're saying is is something that couldn't be said better by anybody else. I think somewhere, if uh, if one 
and that comes from, and that's why I said, you know, one of the things, one of the more boring parts, but the easier amongst everything is to is to is to be involved in the in the in the exercise of writing, and uh, I think that is that is what's very important. The other thing is, uh, and, and that gives you the self belief to express yourself uh, at the time of uh, writing or writing whatever. I mean, it could be an essay, or it could be a book, or it could be a paper. But I think being involved in the exercise of it is important. Second thing is, I think, uh, and this is very, this is personal. Sometimes it helps people. But the more you read, and that's 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 been one of my personal experiences. That you know, the more one reads, the more uh, one understands the different hues, styles, forms, texture of stories, writing, uh, and you know, you you form your own understanding of what constitutes. Uh, a narrative that's closer to your heart. So reading different authors, different genres is important, whether you're a fiction writer or, or you intend to be a non-fiction writer. I think it's important to uh, read as much and across different genres as, as you can. Of course, you know, you can like certain books. You may not like certain other books, but it's important to uh, then read the ones that you like. And uh, the more you read, the more you develop an understanding of it's like you know you want to play a game of cricket you need to be also watching um, the more uh, experienced cricketers play uh, so as to understand how the game develops inside their heads what do they do what the style they have and it's it's important to therefore understand um, writing through a process of reading and uh, I think that's very important <clears throat> then as a writer i think one of the things that one needs to think through is what do you what what is what is it that you want to say you need to have a core message and that core message lies uh, within you it's not something that someone else is is going to some you you might read it might he might help or she might help read right? something that you believe in. but i think there is a core message that you have that you could convey, that you want to convey. Identifying that core message, what you want to say is important. Yeah. Because writing is about something, having something to say, something important to say, something relevant to say, something that you've always wanted to express. And I think um, the, 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 uh, the exercise of writing is basically expressing yourself. Uh, so that is important. And the last thing that I would think is to evolve one's own style. I said, you know, you read works of different authors across different genres, but I think it's important to have your own voice because it's, it's as I said, you know, it's your core belief in, in a certain idea. It's your yearning to say something. So you must say it in your own voice, in your own form, in your own style. Uh, that is when you're able to express it the best. I believe that's, that's how one evolves as a writer because each one is a writer um, in his or her, her own uh, shape and school. And I think that's that's important to believe in and uh, evolve one's own spine, have something very specific to say and uh, keep writing as you know that. Thank you. And you know, one year of Watershed 1967, what's next? Film on the book, another book, more books, talks, workshops. Yeah. What's going yeah. on, Prabal? Yeah, thank you. It's it's been it's been a busy year, Preeti. I think, uh, and just to just to take a step back, you know, when Watershed 1967 was released, 
uh, and this is you know you spoke about the lows i think the lows started with the release of the book because uh, when the book was released we had one launch and after that uh, the entire world walked into covid so i said there goes my book and now nobody's going to read but um, but you know uh, and so there were there were no book launches physical launches there were no bookshops where the book would be housed or put up in shelves so they started a new way of reaching out to audiences and that's where you learn uh, how to uh, how to talk to people through the medium that we are doing so currently and the entire year was spent in countless webinars i know you know webinars uh, have been so many that you know sometimes people wonder what is the new one for but i think i i'm grateful to a lot of people for for uh, uh, you know engaging in the webinars on the book and grateful to you as well i mean this this ha has happened through the year um, and uh, ironically india and china had this their 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 standoff during a, a protracted standoff of 2020 um, and people wanted to understand what india and china rivalry was about uh, 1967 brought the entire context of of all of that to the fore and uh, that was an era that a period which changed the india china narrative so when you looked at uh, current events you kind of went back to 1967 so that kind of uh, held the journey together the conversation about india and china led everybody back to watershed 1967 coming to your question about what next well uh, this continues the journey of watershed 1967 continues because it's a book uh, i believed that that has that is that goes beyond a certain period of time in terms of reading in terms of its um, context of history in terms of its reference uh, being being a watershed political geographical and and uh, you know historical watershed that it was that year uh, but yes uh, i i one of the things that the book taught me was that you know people want to understand listen hear stories uh no more about stories that that have not been told often or that have not been told at all so we thought and i i believe that you know there are stories that have to be told that um that lie in the recess, recesses of history uh and uh, sometimes they've been forgotten from 1914-15 onwards over 100 years um it has been that the indian army in its modern form has uh, been involved in wars and conflicts in lots of places so i thought of putting together untold stories and stories that have not been uh, you know that either lines footnotes of books or elsewhere but there have been forgotten stories and uh, you know when you talk of wars and conflicts uh, gallantry is one of the features that is there that's spoken about but the various human dimensions irony separation you know uh, you know different different other kinds of uh, uh, experiences of people and human dimensions of the army the the wars that they have participated in the conflicts that they've gone through and these dimensions are sometimes not uh, you know presented in you know many areas and many books because uh, they they kind of gotten over the years so i thought you know that's this is this is one time when we need to talk about the various dimensions of wars and conflicts and the involvement of the armed forces which is one of the you know it's one of the most diverse most secular and versatile armed forces that you can 
uh, in the world is perhaps the most versatile. Yes, it is in terms of its involvement in different kinds of wars and insurgencies, and uh, over a period of history, uh, straddling uh, pre-independence era and post-independence era as well. So, so this book is 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 something that I had in mind, and as we speak, <clears throat> we've just closed our. Um, contract for the book and uh, would be going ahead with it and sometime in hopefully in 2022 uh, we should be able to bring that out and hopefully it's uh, it's it's, it's, uh, it's interesting um, to read as well and you give it the kind of uh, attention that watershed has found which is which is what i'm grateful about yeah absolutely so first of all congratulations for number two number two coming out in 22 possibly yeah. so yes. hearty congratulations for Thank that you. and possibly maybe even a movie or two um on watershed 1967 who knows because that option is also open the ott platforms are damn it as in galore so maybe a series possibility i mean the opportunities are limitless from what i understand as a layman as well so Congratulations and all the best for that. Before we go, please, what is the story behind the name of Watershed 1967? And also, please, Praval, help me understand how a 53-year-old story, which probably started two years before that, so in 1965, per se, why is it still contemporary as we are sitting in 2021 right now, especially with the background of 2020 standoff that you did touch upon earlier. So please help me understand these two things. First the story and then the um, entire journey of this watershed. What is it all about? Over to you. Thank you. So, so if I, if I, if I, sorry, I missed you a little bit. In the, the first part of the question was about why watershed 1967? Why the name? Yeah. Yes. Okay. okay. Yes. So that's, uh, it's, a, it's a very interesting question. It's a great question in terms of uh, why? Because I did refer to it earlier on in our conversation. So, uh, so watershed. I mean, when you look at India and China, and you look at, uh, as I said, you know, the book started with references to 1962 in the media and everywhere, and I thought that that was, uh, you know, a little misdirected, given that India had recorded a redemptive victory five years after 1962, which was 1967. That set the tone of India-China relations that followed in the years, in the immediate period. And also it resulted in the, you know, it, the, the battles of 67 and, and the India-China rivalry during that period sowed seeds of suspicion and doubt in India's mind about how, about what China's plans were going to be after Tibet, given that, you know, they had captured Tibet in 1950 and they were at the door of Sikkim in 1960s. <clears throat> And they were actually raising questions to India. So, you know, that led to the integration of Sikkim in the 1970s. And, you know, they, they followed, again, a rivalry of between India and China and Somdurungchu in 1987, which resulted in, again, India pushing back the Chinese forces without firing a bullet. And this time they had taken a page from the, the victorious battles of 1967 in terms of taking the advantage, resting the advantage, the psychological advantage, and, you know, brought speed and surprise to, to their actions and pushed China back in 1987. So they, it had lots of repercussions. Uh, one of the most important things that 1967, uh, it, it didn't do, but you know, what, when you look at India and China, uh, you look at 
53 years except for 2020 when you had the skirmish uh, in in mid 2020 when indian soldiers and chinese soldiers died and then and thereafter uh, you know subsequent action took place as well um, in in the dark but if you if you look back 53 years barring an incident in 1975 when an indian patrol lost a few soldiers for 53 years india and china have not had a confrontation a military confrontation and you go back to that marker of 1967 1967 did not actively change the india china uh, equation in in terms of uh, strategic capabilities but it had a psychological impact on the chinese because of which you know in the immediate period that followed china was quite uh, you know in even you know in the period between 67 and then in the early 70s as well there was not much uh, that was happening on that side of india china um, border because there was there was a lot of the, the psychological advantage that india had wrested from china in 1967 those two battles were important in that regard aside from other political changes that had happened and uh, you know there are lots of things if i were to go go into the his, historical side of things history of you know, what happened in 1971 uh, you know the prime minister had taken steps to kind of ring fence us from china when she was going to the war against pakistan but that that those are other you know bits of history what the major thing that happened is for nine, for 53 years india and china did not have a military confrontation and you go back to that marker of history 1967 so that was the watershed the historical watershed um and sorry for the extended ex explanation to the historical watershed and then you have the geographical watershed because uh, uh, you know that part nathula chola those features they are uh, passes on the himalayan watershed where you know watershed is defined as the highest point where you know you the slopes they are there on either side and, and the entire watershed constitutes the uh, indochina india china border there so that is uh, that is where the geographical watershed comes in and uh, then you have the uh, political slash military watershed because you know five years after india's loss or setback in 1962 india had put it across china in 1967 and therefore rested the political and military advantage so it was a political watershed a military watershed and a geographical watershed and when you looked at india china relations for over half a century when you think of it uh, more than a quarter of the world's population haven't engaged in a war or a confrontation uh, that's a major happening and uh, when you look back at when it all stopped you go back to that year 1967 that's the watershed so that's the name watershed it was it i i, I think it gave itself a name i didn't give it, it just gave itself a name and that's how it became the name of the book uh, how is it relevant to today's events is is you know is is in the you know description that i just gave you that you know for 53 years you know the two nations have stayed away from the confrontation and uh, if you look at what happened in galwan china had broken the protocol india and china had entered into protocols in the 90s and in the early 2000s that you know there's certain ways of avoiding a conflict uh, and and uh, the use of arms was not going to be there between the two sides so china broke the protocol uh, in mid 2020 and uh, you know you had uh, losses um, 
Indian soldiers, brave hearts lost their lives uh, because China had made that first move, but the Indian, Indian army had hit back, wrested that advantage. And uh, the reason why there was a longer standoff was because India had taken the advantage and uh, you know taken the Kailash Heights. And uh, as it as the standoff wore on, what what happened was that the Chinese forces had you know had had come and occupied certain um, you know places uh, in the plains, but on the hills in the heights around uh, those those areas the indian army had gone and occupied those heights the kalashites and and they had uh, so they dominated the chinese army there and uh, it was a kind of a lockdown lock in they were locked in where you know neither could move back without uh, giving the other side the advantage and that happened because you look back at 1987 where india had wrested the advantage against china in a similar kind in an, in a standoff at somdurungchu and uh, you go back to 1967, where India had given a, the Chinese a bloody nose by way of surprise and speed and aggressive posturing and, and taking the advantage uh, at, at a very early stage. So when you look back at different points in history, the one way in a limited scenario, in a limited battle or a limited area confrontation to uh, prevail over China or to, or, or to kind of, uh, you know, have an upper hand has been to uh, to 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 move with speed and surprise the enemy and uh, take advantage of the local conditions and i think every time india has managed to prevail over china and some of these factors have remained common so when you look back when you look at 2020 what happened and india kind of regaining the advantage you go back to 1967 as the first time that India had actually done that and prevailed over China. So uh, every time you look at uh, some of these uh, things that are happening here, the more you look at the present, the more you go back to history in terms of reference. Even in terms of political terms, you know, 1967 in the 1960s, Mao, when he was faced with internal issues, the way he would respond was external power projection. So the more China has changed, the more it has remained the same. In 2020, uh, because of the pandemic and the handling of the pandemic, there were questions on Xi's, Xi Jinping's leadership and internally in China. And there were also question marks on whether he should continue. There was a, uh, you know, a coterie of senior party members who wanted the, the leadership to be changed. And uh, how did she respond to the internal pressure that was building up to external power projection? So if you look at the 60s, if you look at the 20, you know, the current era, uh, you would find similarities there. If you look at Xi Jinping, he came to power in 2012, and he laid down a nine-point agenda. That's a that's a that's a memo that he brought out, identifying the enemies and identifying what China needed to do to face up to its enemies. And that was as early as 2013. In 2015, he spoke about you know building a, a global navy or maritime uh, navy for China by 2030. And from the time he has come, there has been seven standoffs. So you know, with India, and you go back to sixties, and you and you see how uh, Mao Zedong was actually uh, his stance at that point of time to respond to to show China as a greater regional power. He would often take up uh, the issue with India, whether it was to put pressure on India 
or to psychologically gain the advantage. Very similar in terms of the leadership, the political leadership styles, very similar in terms of the military outcomes. So the more you look at the present, the more you go back to past in terms of history and the marker in history is 1967. Thank you so much for that. You know, it is all about drawing parallels. I think, you know, it is in actually those literal terms, history repeating itself 40 years, 50 years apart. So thank you very much for putting that in context. And that brings us to the end of this conversation with you. This was Author Spotlight with friendly host Preeti Chaudhary, powered by StreamYard Incorporated. And my guest today is my friend here, Prabhul Das Gupta, who is an author. He has written Watershed 1967, soon embarking on book number two, which will be out in 2022. A corporate year and a veteran. It has been a pleasure, Prabal. Thank you so much. For the people, please go on to prabaldasgupta.com for his life, his work, his book, and everything else fit in between. Thank you to the audience for tuning in today. For the reruns, people who will be watching this on a rerun, warm welcome to you as well. And Prabal, my dear friend, thank you for your service and Jai Hind. Thank you, Preeti, and thank you for having me here. Uh, and we really enjoyed our conversation. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Jai Hind. Jai Hind.